Welcome to Demystifying Franchise Ownership, the podcast that brings you expert advice, transparency, and clarity around franchise ownership. Whether you are a prospective or current franchisee or franchisor, or simply curious about the topic, say hello to your host, Christine Givens. Welcome back to Demystifying Franchise Ownership, where I share my knowledge, experience, and hard-earned lessons learned about franchise ownership. Last week, I recapped my first eight interviews of 2023. This week, I'm continuing on recapping the remaining five interviews. Like last week, I've included clips from each interview. Hopefully, this recap will inspire you to go back and listen to any you missed or just want to revisit. So here we go. In episodes 23 and 24, I interviewed Rob Miller, a seasoned entrepreneur and president at Mentor Institute. This was a little bit of an unconventional guest because Rob doesn't have a connection to the franchise industry. However, he has a wealth of business experience, which I knew would bring valuable content to the listeners. In part two, of my interview, Rob outlines the lean canvas and how to use it. A lean canvas is a one page business plan that helps you break down your product or business model, question and test your assumptions, and determine if your idea actually has viability. Listen to what Rob says about the importance of focusing on the problem and not the solution. What we should not be doing is thinking about solutions. Put that aside. You know, don't don't think about what it is that's your brilliant idea until much later. Think about what the problem is. Think about what the problem is. I, I give this presentation to a couple. I'm, I'm a, uh, involved in this uh, group. Uh, the Disabled American Veterans has a, uh, they call it a boot camp for veterans who want to be entrepreneurs. And I teach them lean canvas and that sort of stuff. And I always start that off with like, what are the worst products in the world, right? What are the, the, the worst products that ever existed. And like, you know, I show like, you know, a slide of Colgate beef lasagna, for example, like, <laughs> right, like gross. So, but why, why do these things happen? It's because people come up with an idea, oh, we should, we're Colgate, we should get into the beef lasagna market, but they never started with the problem. Like, is there really a problem that, that, you know, that can be solved by Colgate making beef lasagna? They never started the problem. So that's where all these entrepreneurs that I know and myself included, I've definitely done this. You get in trouble because you focus on, I have this brilliant idea and I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, actually not many of us in the planet, in the world, in world history are Steve Jobs. So the rest of us mere mortals really need to start with the problem. You know, mm-hmm. what problem is it that I'm trying to solve? And, and is number one, and number two, is there anybody that wants to buy my solution? So this is the kind of discipline that I like is, you know, the Ashmore lean canvas or running type discipline is, is like first start with the problem, identify what that is, then start talking to people, start talking to potential customers, start talking to people that, how do they solve it now? What do they even pay to solve it? What are their, and one of the things that I always suggest to people and I try to do myself is when you're doing that customer discovery part of this. You know, once you've identified, like, there's a problem that I think could be solved with a business. And then you start actually talking to customers. The worst thing in the world you could do is say, Christine, I have this new idea for a new, whatever, a new business that I want to do, a new retail business or a new gym or whatever. I have this idea for a gym. And and here's what it is. And then, you know, what do you think? And what are you going to say to me? Sounds great. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. I go there. So that, yeah, totally. Right. Totally. Or, you know, to take that a step farther, like, you know, if I said to you, like, if I build this gym and it sounds like you really like it, how many days a week do you think you'll come? Um, I don't know. What would you say? Three times a week. Three times a week. Exactly. Exactly. Now, how many, let me ask you this. Well, maybe you're the wrong person to ask this question because I know you, you know, are into health and fitness, but, but, um, like how many times did you go to the gym last week? None, because I do it here at my house. Okay, okay, great answer, right? Because mm-hmm. now look at the difference. Look at the, what I just learned from between those two questions, right? I asked you, what did you do in the past? You told me you never went to the gym because you have a gym in your own house. But when, when I asked you previously, would you go? You said, yeah, three days a week. So people are always going to tell you what they think you want, they, that you want to hear. In November of 2023, I also interviewed Terp Ricketts. Terp is the VP of Franchise Development for Horsepower Brands. Horsepower Brands is a portfolio company of franchise brands in the service industry, specifically around items relating to the home. Terp has a wealth of knowledge about the franchise industry. Listen to what he has to say about emerging brands. If you're a, a prospective franchisee out there and you are looking at an emerging brand, what would you say is one of the biggest red flags to one that's growing? It is not ready for prime time. Let's not say growing too quickly, ready for prime time. So, so let's say they are growing at a really rapid rate. Well, that means that the model is solid. The leadership team's probably solid. But what does that infrastructure look like on the back end? So if you're looking at outlets sold, well, how many are actually being opened each year? If I'm selling, let's say, units, outlets, whatever you want to define it as, like 320 open, that's not good at all. That means that we've got this backlog and the franchisor on their end is like, oh my gosh, you know, waking up every day. How do we do it? How do we do it? That's bad. If they're not opening those, we don't just sell franchises, we we award them and then we want to open them as quickly as possible and get them that support because that person at the end of the day, franchising is just a vehicle to get an entrepreneur, in my opinion, from A to Z or A to wherever it is they want to go. They're why faster, more effective, efficiently. There's still those bumps, but we want to get you to your why there. And sometimes when things can grow a little too fast, it just causes issues internally with getting people open, the support structures. You have to be really well capitalized, which is where I'd come in and say, look at the leadership team. What's their past look like? How well capitalized are they? And then as the franchise candidate, it's looking at yourself in the mirror and going, is this something I can execute on this model? Do these guys have great uh, system support processes? Will they continue to invest in it? And then culture. And It's not like, hey, we've got beanbag chairs and snacks and a cappuccino machine. The culture is sweet. Uh, Pool table. Yeah, exactly. It's so cool. They let us out of the halogen light for five minutes and we we get to go outside and play. Uh, That's not culture. It's something that you feel as you come into it, through it with talking to leadership, other franchise owners, people like myself on the front end. and, And you'll know, hey, this is this is that right fit and it's the right fit to execute on. In episode 26, I interview Paula Kircher. I know Paula through Kirsten Ramos, another podcast guest. And I've also been a guest on the Savvy Session, which Paula 
co-hosts with Kirsten. Paula is currently a business consultant, but early in her career, she was a franchisee in a Tex-Mex concept. The first year of operation was phenomenal for Paula and her investors. Listen to what happened in the second year. You might be surprised. I mean, the first year was great and amazing. And I mean, we were booked every night. We were seeing, we were gearing up probably by year three that we would start to open other locations. So that first year was very successful in, in how it was operating and how the business, I mean, we were always had a wait by that year end and into the next year is when we started to, to see the cracks. Did you have challenges in that first year? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there were red flags that we just didn't know better or just didn't want to believe we're there than that presenting itself in the second year. So there were things, but, you know, financially from the restaurant, it was, it was doing well, but there were things behind the scenes and things that were coming then in year two that definitely impacted us. Just like with anything, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So what were the, some of the things that then you discovered came to fruition, some of the challenges that challenges that arose then in that second year? And I think this is when, you know, we had a conversation, you know, behind the scenes, I said, first year is great, you know, because you're like the new thing in town, you know, the shiny new object and stuff. The second year, I mean, it was a many things. It wasn't one thing, but I had said to you, like the shit hit the fan. Second year is when things were popping. So sorry for, (laughs) no, no, it's true. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the main things that were happening then was one competition. We had two other new Mexican style restaurants open in the year that second year. So Tex-Mex. Yeah. Individual or franchises? Franchises. So, and they were franchises from the Midwest. So they had name recognition. So we had two, two open within the neighborhood to us. So not one, but two, we also had other new restaurants open in the neighborhood that we built in. Cause it was like the up and coming area. So there was a brewery that opened, there was another Italian place that opened, but then also there's two other Mexican restaurants. So that coming into play definitely impacted us. It impacted us from one from then turnover, those restaurants were coming to our restaurant and were poaching our employees. At that time, economy was hot, so it was hard to hire. So they were coming and, you know, eating at our restaurant to check us out, but then also looking to recruit our employees. So we did have some people that left because of that, because, hey, now it's the new you know, when you're a new restaurant, you're busy, they're making bigger, if you're the front of house, making bigger tips and everything, you Mm -hmm. know, so we, those that stayed with us, we had to appreciate those that were remain loyal. So we made sure to take care of those individuals that did stay with us. So that competition was a major thing. Then the other thing from the competition was that their um, standard of quality of food was a lower price and lower quality. Our franchisee required Mm -hmm. a certain level of meat Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. had to be butcher cut, had to be this and this and this. So it was a higher price point. We know that's a better quality of meat to eat, but then that caused uh, higher food prices. So Mm -hmm. now we're competing against lower prices and people were okay with the lower quality. So like, how do you compete against that? And we, based on the the franchise contract couldn't reduce our food quality. What do you know about three-tier franchise models? In episode 27, I talked to Adam Pavlitz, the CEO of Inago Cleaning Systems. In this excerpt, Adam describes the three-tier model and how it works. 
Sure. So Anago Cleaning Systems from a franchising perspective is a three-tier commercial cleaning franchise. So most people that are familiar with franchising think of two-tier franchises. So easy example is, you know, McDonald's and there's, you know, the corporate office and then the folks who own the restaurants. Anago is a three-tier franchise model. So there's the, the corporate office, what we call a master franchise, which is like a territory franchise, and then a unit franchise. And the easiest way to think about that is um, when I say commercial cleaning, most people think first first image in your listeners' minds is probably someone with like a mop and a bucket or a vacuum or something like that. And, uh, and they're not wrong, but most of the cleaning aspects are done at night. And so the easiest way we like to help people think about it is... If you think about the daytime aspects and the nighttime aspects of the industry separately. So at night, we have a unit franchise. They're going out, they're hiring a crew, they're learning the chemicals and the equipment and keeping the buildings clean. But the question is, well, where did where did they get the accounts from? Uh, who's doing the billing of the accounts? Who's, you know, where is the website? How does, where, when does the customer service happen? And, and in order to avoid commercial cleaning becoming a 24-7 thing, which it very easily can, we've created the master franchise and essentially the master franchise handles the daytime aspects. So the the master franchise has the, you know, has the, the website, is running the, the advertising campaigns, has a sales staff, has accounting staff, but has zero people doing any cleaning. So they they are strictly in the sales, marketing, uh, coaching, and advertising is what I would, or an accounting is how I would word it. And then the unit franchise has zero sales staff. So they focus strictly on just keeping the buildings clean. And it creates a cool synergy because then uh, your master franchise has no cleaning personnel and your unit franchise has no sales and no need for any major accounting personnel. And everybody's making money and, and saving a little bit of money along the way. Many of my listeners have said they love the interviews with franchisees. In episodes 28 and 29, I interviewed Dave Hans, who along with his wife, Tanya, are franchisees in the Great Clip system. Dave and Tanya went from owning a three-pack to 37 locations over a 17-year period, so they have experience and have seen a lot. Listen to what Dave believes contributed to their success and longevity. Yeah, and, and, and you know, not to be... Coy, but Tanya and I have built a pretty successful Great Clips organization. We we have very high performing salons, and we're very proud of of what we built. But to answer your question, uh, you know, every business owner in America, whether he's a franchisee or fi- Fortune five hundred, they'll say, "If you take care of the customer, your business will grow." And we we change one word in that, and we say, "If you take care of the stylist, your business will grow." Mm-hmm. And, and the theory on that is we're we're extremely employee centric. We're all we're all about building our culture one employee at a time. Uh, we like to know exactly what's happening in all of our employees' lives, and we like to, you know, if an employee in Danville, Illinois, four hours from here, had a dog die. We wanna we wanna call them and 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 let them know this. Even though we have 350 employees, it's a very employee centric uh, business. But to answer your question. Um, Take care of the stylus and the business will grow. We, we've always used that as our uh, wh- why we've had great longevity and sustainability because we know that if the stylus is happy and they stay longer, then they'll they'll give better service to the customer. And it's a great it's a great way to live morally and ethically, but it's also a great way to make money, build, mm-hmm. a, build a strong employee culture. And we build and the other thing I would attribute 
to our longevity and success would be that we have great managers. Each of our units has a manager. In fact, I, I'm going off on a tangent, but when I, I recruit myself, I pick up the phone and I call, I call beauty school graduates and stylists. And one of the first things I say to them, if I know they're working somewhere else, is we have drama-free managers. In this business, mm-hmm. a lot of the reasons that employees leave is because they don't like their managers in any business, right? So we like to hire managers that have no management experience. And that's been part of our longevity. We have, we have zero managers in our company that did not start with us as stylists. And, and we don't care. We prefer that they had no management experience. We want them to be able to make strong, be able to make strong decisions, use good judgment, have diplomatic skills, and of course, customer service. But it's really it's the diplomatic skills, the, the ability to make strong decisions. This, I think, is why we've sustained our business and grown our business, because we identify skills in some of these stylists before they know they have them themselves. We're like, hey, we'll sit down and say, listen, you're 22 years old. We think that you make great decisions. We've seen you in action. And we think that we can work with you to be a great leader. And that's that's part of that was a really long answer, but that's part of I think why we've been able to go from one salon to five to fifteen to twenty five to thirty five. It's because we just build great leaders and then we leave them to lead and then we move on and build the next uh, franchise salon. So that's a wrap on my 2023 podcast recap. I have really enjoyed going back and listening to all the old episodes, the 2023 episodes. And I hope you do too. Don't hesitate to reach out to me via email by going to the contact page on my website, christinegivens.com. If you're currently evaluating a franchise system, make sure you get my guide called the ultimate step-by-step guide to vetting and evaluating a franchise opportunity. You'll also find that resource on my website. And as always, tune in next week and thanks for listening.